0: Two guys that were hiking in the woods. And out of nowhere, a a bear begins to charge them. And they take off and one of the guys stops and he drops to the ground. And and he begins to take off his his boots and put on his tennis shoes. And the other guy looks and says, what in the world are you doing? He says, you can't outrun a bear. The guy looks back at him and says, I don't have to, I just have to outrun you. So, you know, motivation, what motivates us, what, what gets us going in life. We can be motivated by fear. We can be motivated by compassion. We can be motivated by some reward or, or some accomplishment. We can be motivated by our desires and our feeling. Uh, something that, that can motivate us is something that we see or witness someone else doing and it impacts us. I remember uh, when I was a teenager, about 13 or 14 years old, and um, this was back in, in a long time ago in the mid-70s, and, um, and there was a movie that came out, and the movie name was Rocky. And I don't know if you remember that movie, Rocky Balboa, and he was a boxer and all of these things. And so Rocky um, what was given the, this big opportunity in life to fight the champion of the world through a series of circumstances. And so he began to train for this boxing match. And he went and found his old trainer, Mick. And Mick came and began to train him. And one of the scenes, uh, Rocky gets up early in the morning. And he goes to, to his little kitchen there in his, this small, tiny apartment. And, and he opens the refrigerator And he takes a glass out And he cracks eggs And puts in the glass And he drinks the raw eggs Anybody ever see that scene in that movie And, and those events so, so then he immediately goes out And begins to run through the streets of the city And he's training and preparing And the music begins to play And it's this motivational scene About someone preparing for the battle when I was a teenager I thought what you do, man, you get ready for the battle. I had two, two buddies that lived close to where I did. And, uh, and we always hung out and did things together, Abe and Keith. And so we got together, we'd seen that movie and we were talking about it. We said, man, that's, that's how we're going to train. We're going to be tough like Rocky. We're going to be strong athletes, you know? So we get up early one morning and, and we grew up on, on kind of a farm and we had chickens and, and so eggs were plentiful, Right. And so, so, you know, I'm first. I don't know why I'm the first. They were both older than me, but I guess because they were my eggs. I don't know. But anyway, so I crack the eggs in the glass. Down they go, man. Yeah, yeah. We're tough, you know. Abe drinks his eggs down. Yeah, yeah. Keith gets his eggs down, and just as they hit bottom, he gags, and they start back up. And when those eggs come back up, Abe and I, who are all of a sudden, ours come back up as well. So, obviously, all three of us there, you know, bringing these eggs back up and, and stuff, that was not the kind of training we needed for, for some teenage boys from West Virginia, right? So, but it motivated us. We, we wanted to do something differently. We wanted to do something because we had seen His motivation and, and we had seen what it had done for Him. And, and so, motivation in our life, what motivates us to do the things we do, there are all sorts of different kinds of things that motivate us. In John's gospel, John talks about and communicates very clearly what his motivation is for writing this book, and, and he doesn't hold anything back. He, he doesn't want it to be, you know, kind kind of uh, misunderstood. He's very clear. In John, the twentieth chapter verses 30 and 31, listen to what John writes and says. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Listen to what he says. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. John was very clear about his motivation. Why he was writing this book, he said there are a lot of other things that Jesus did. Miracles and teachings and things that happened. But these things have been written for a reason. And the reason that I'm writing these things is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing that, you may have life in His name. Okay? If we drop down a little bit more in the next chapter, chapter 21, verses 24 and 25, listen to what it continues to tell us about the motivation of the writing of John. This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Okay? So he's writing and he says, listen, I am who I am. I was a witness to these things. It's true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John writes and he says, I want to be clear. There are so many more things that Jesus did. So many more miracles. So many more teachings. So so many more uh, things that He influenced in people's lives. He says, but I want you to know through the direction of the Holy Spirit... And through the power that God has given me, I have written these things. I've recorded these things so that I might motivate you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that believing in Him, you might accept Him as your Lord and Savior and that you might have life and salvation. John confirms that God the Father is vitally interested in our eternal well-being and our eternal destination. He writes that in John 3.16. He says what? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John writes and he says, God's interested in you. He's interested in your your salvation. He's interested in your eternal destination. He's interested in everything that there is about you. And Jesus Christ came in chapter 10 and verse 10. He says, He came to pay the price for our sins. He came that God might redeem us back and and cause us to be His. And, And so I want us to think about for a few moments this morning, if we go through the Gospel of John, He records for us seven miracles... Seven events, seven teachings in the life of Jesus. And these seven, he's already told us, are written for a reason. I write these things. These things that I write, these things are recorded here, are so that you will believe that Jesus Christ is only God and believing that you may accept him and that he may be Lord and master of your life. You may receive his salvation. And here's what I want us to understand is that he calls us to share that same message with that our motivation needs to be that we desire for people to believe what we have believed. We desire for people to receive the salvation that we received. We desire for people to know the Lord that we know. We desire... And so that needs to motivate us to share with them this same message so that they may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and that they accept Him as their Lord and Savior. And that should be our motivation is that we are motivated to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are around us, that they might come to know the Lord that we know. So let's look at these stories together just for a moment this morning. I want us to look at each seven of them. It won't take us very long on each one. And learn what John is trying to communicate to us about the Lord that can help us to know that He is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. The first one... Is recorded in John chapter 2, and, uh, and it's written there in verses 1 through 11. It's the story that we refer to often at weddings and other events. Uh, it's the story of the wedding feast of Cana of Galilee. Listen to what John writes. Now, it came about in those days that a decree went out. Wait a minute, am I in the right? I am in mean Luke, not John. Okay, I thought, wait a minute, that doesn't look right. Flipped to the wrong spot. Here we go, I'm sorry about that. John chapter 2. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited and His disciples to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to Him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. I love this. Because Jesus says, It's not time yet. And what does Mary do? Mary says, hey, now, listen. He said to the servants, whatever He says to you, do it. In other words, he says, Jesus, you're ready, okay? And, And so if I say you're ready, you're ready. And Mama says, listen, whatever He says, you do it. And so here's Jesus, and Jesus says, okay, how do I respond to this? Now, there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, And the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine, he did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom. He said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when men have drunk freely, then that which is poorer... You have kept the good wine until now. The beginning of His signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested His glory and His disciples believed in Him. That's, it's an interesting story. There are a few things that I want us to learn from it real quickly this morning. The first thing is this. Jesus was invited and He came. That's a simple story, isn't it? Jesus was invited and all we have to do is invite Him into our hearts. Invite Him into our lives. inviting to be involved in what we're doing and where we're going and, and our goals and our desires in life. And He wants to be a part. It was a wedding. I wonder how many other weddings had happened and Jesus hadn't been invited to. But He was invited to this wedding. And His mother was there. and He had family there. And, and because He received the invitation, He came. Scripture says that's, that's all we have to do is invite Him into our heart. And He's ready and waiting. He wants to be a part of our life. He wants to be involved in what we're doing. He cares about the things that are happening in our life. It illustrates His availability. It also illustrates His ability. Turning water to wine. That's interesting, the, the, the precepts and, and, and all the things, uh, the perception of, of the head waiter. That that usually people serve the better wine first and people first get there and they can taste and all of that. As as they drink more and more, then, then things begin to kind of blend together, and so you pour the you, you serve the poorer wine later so that people don't recognize that, that it's it's a poorer wine. But he says, You've saved the best to last. I, I think that's a wonderful illustration about what God desires for us. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. It's not here. It's not now. It's eternity in the kingdom of heaven. The best is, is in the future for us. The, the best is not in the past. It's not even in the present. The best is yet to come in the kingdom of God. And he said, you know what? Some people start out with the best and then move to the poor. He said, you did it just the other way around. And that's what God desires for our life. He desires the best for us. He's available. Uh, he, he's capable. Uh, he uh, he, want, he desires to make our life richer and fuller and better and more joyful and more complete. He desires to do that now, but he says there's a future waiting for you that is beyond comprehension or understanding. John writes the story. He says, I want you to believe who Jesus is. He has power over nature to turn water to wine instantaneously. And the the Scripture says at the end of that, and his disciples believe. It was an act. It was a miracle. It was a thing that happened that caused people to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world. Second thing, if you drop down to chapter 4, and this is a great story. We're not going to read it this morning for the sake of time. But there's a nobleman, and he has heard about Jesus and some of the miracles he's performed. Jesus has left Cana, and he comes back again. If we read there in chapter 4, it says he returned to Cana. And when he came to Cana, this nobleman comes to him, and he says, Sir, my son is at the point of death, and, and I would that you would come with me and heal him. Restore him, because he's heard of his miracles, maybe even seen his miracles. And so he's asking Jesus to do the miraculous in his son's life. And Jesus says, well, what? The only thing that causes you to believe is to see the miracles? For, for me to do something miraculous or unbelievable, and then you're going to believe? And the man says, No, no, sir, I believe I just need you to come and heal my son. And Jesus says to him, Listen, go ahead and go back home. Your son will live and he's going to be just fine. And so the man believed that and he departed. The scripture says that he was from Capernaum, and that was that was about sixteen or seventeen miles away from Cana where Jesus was. And so he had a little bit of a journey to get himself back home, sixteen or seventeen miles. And, and probably, you know, at a, at a walking pace or, or if he was riding a camel or a donkey or something. It wasn't going to be something that's going to be quick. It's going to take a little bit. And he starts on the journey. And as he's headed home, then his servants come out to meet him. As the servants come out to meet him, the first thought in his mind is what? This doesn't look good. You know, if they're coming out to meet me, maybe they're bringing me some bad news, right? But they come out and they say, oh, Master, your son lives. Everything's okay. Everything's all right. And he says, oh, man, thank you. Thank you for such wonderful news. He said, when did it change? When did he start to get better? And they give to him the time of day that that his son began to get better. And and he says that that's exactly when Jesus said, go home. Your son's going to live and he's going to be all right. And he went home, and the Scripture says that he and his whole household believed. Remember what John's writing about? John's writing about believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he's, He's our Savior. And so he writes and he's communicating to us some real truths about Jesus. The first is this, Jesus has power over disease. That this disease could not control this child. The fever did not put him to death. That he survived it because Jesus has power over disease. Jesus has power over distance. He didn't have to be right there in the presence of the child. He didn't have to touch him. He didn't have to put his hands on him. He didn't have to do any of those things. Just his word covered the distance of 16 or 17 miles and healed that child. He had never met him, never seen him, didn't know anything about him. But he has power over disease. He has power over distance. He has power to, to heal and restore even without being right there in that moment. And we need to understand that power, that he has power over disease, power over distance. And and that we need to believe that Jesus is Christ the Son of the living God and that He is the Savior of the world. Third, third story he tells is in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And let's turn there. We'll, we'll read that one this morning because this is a, a fascinating story. And it reveals for us some, some really interesting truths about the people of that day and, and their beliefs and, and how they, they comprehended things. In, in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, uh, was a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, uh, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, withered, waiting for the moving of the waters." For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. And when Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? Do you really want your life to change? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet, walk and immediately the man became well and he took up his pallet and began to walk now it was the sabbath on that day so this is a fascinating story people gather around the pool and they are sick everyone there has something wrong with them the interesting sam talked this morning about our problems in our life our challenges and our difficulties, and, and that, that God is with us in the midst of those. And here we find a group of people, a multitude, the Scripture says. We don't really know how many, but I would imagine that using the word multitude means there's quite a few of them. And they're all sick. They all have problems. They all have physical disease, physical ailments, physical limitations in their life. And they all want to be healed. And from time to time, an angel comes down and stirs the water. And when water is stirred, the first person in is healed of their sickness. And this guy says, listen, I want to be healed. But because I can't walk, when the water stirred, by the time I begin to drag myself and try to get to the water, somebody else with another ailment that, that has their legs and is faster than me, they're into the water. And they receive the healing, and, and I can't receive it. Jesus said, well, listen, if that's what you want, stand up, pick up your pallet, go home. Everything's going to be all right. And that's exactly what happened. The miracle of Jesus healing a lame man. The Scripture gives us some definitive things. 38 years he's been this way. But we know what happens if someone can't walk or they can't use their muscles over a period of time like that. The muscles would deteriorate. Uh, you know, any type of strength, the ligaments would would lock and tighten. All, all kinds in our modern medicine of things would have happened to to the lower extremities of this man over that period of time. Jesus was able to overcome all of that. Jesus was able to immediately say to him, "Stand up, pick up your pallet, and and go home. You're healed. Everything's all right." There's a few things that we see about this. John wants us to see and to know and to understand. I believe. That Jesus' healing is for more than just a few. It wasn't just for whoever could get to the water first, it was for others as well. Jesus' healing and restoration is for a multitude of others. And and he showed that by healing this man who couldn't get to the water on his own and didn't have anyone to help him to the water. Jesus saw a group of people who were lonely, who were hurting, who were helpless, who were hopeless. They were struggling in life. And Jesus cared about them. And Jesus had compassion for them. And Jesus healed and restored. And He desires to heal and restore our hearts and our lives. He, he, he desires to take them just broken and put it back together and heal it and restore it and strengthen it. And John writes this so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that He's the Savior of the world our Savior as well we go on next John chapter 6 interesting story here it's a little bit longer we won't take time to to read all of this but but here's what I see in this this is a story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 little boy who had had just a few loaves and a few fish and Jesus takes that and begins to multiply it and feed the scripture identifies for us 5,000 men who were fed that day. Uh, we don't know about women and children, how many more there might have been present there, but we know there were 5,000 men. And, and every one of us knows that just a few loaves and, and, and a few fish uh, is going to feed five men, let alone 5,000 men. But Jesus was able to do that. that. That communicates to us, as John writes this amazing story of these events that unfold, that Jesus cares about our physical needs as well as our spiritual needs. He began to talk to His disciples and He said, Look at all these people that are gathered here. Where are we going to get food to feed them? He wasn't just talking about their spiritual needs. He was interested in their physical needs. How are we going to sustain them physically with some food with all of these people? And the disciples respond and say, Listen, all the money we have can buy enough food for all these people. It's just not possible. Jesus has this ability to do the the possible with the impossible. He has this ability to take something that's small and not much and make it grand and masterful. He can do that in our lives. We don't have to be grand and masterful. We just have to have a little a little desire to give, a little desire to surrender, a little desire to let Him take hold. And He'll take that little, that small, whatever it is, and He'll multiply it and use it in a grand way. And this year in 2020, we... We need to have a desire for Him to take whatever it is that we can offer, and let Him multiply it. Let Him use it in a grand way for the kingdom. Let, let Him use it in in a magnificent way to to reach many others. He took this little boy's lunch, and He multiplied it to meet the needs of thousands. He, he can take whatever it is that we have to offer, whatever it is that we're willing to bring, and He can multiply it to meet the needs of others. But we have to be willing to surrender. The little boy had to be willing to give up his lunch in order for this miracle to take place. But Jesus was interested in their physical needs, not just their spiritual needs. He also showed, also showed his ability to take that which is little and do great things with it. And John writes this so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. The next thing is John chapter six verses fifteen through twenty one. Again, we're not going to read the whole story. Uh, we are familiar with it, and, and that is the story of Jesus walking on the water. Amazing story. Just just fascinating to to think about the fact that that these disciples who are are many of them are accomplished fishermen. They are familiar with the water. They're familiar with boats. They're familiar with the dynamics of all of those things that are involved. And in the middle of the night, Jesus comes to them walking on the water never seen that before they'd never experienced that before in life this was something that was was new and and unique to them in every way and so they were frightened they thought well what can walk on water a human being can't do it because we're human and we've never been able to do it so it's got to be a ghost and they were frightened by the ghost that was coming on the water this spirit that was approaching them and, and suddenly jesus says hey don't be afraid it's me it's just me and so Jesus demonstrates in this His power over nature. And and we know as His disciple got out of the boat that, that Jesus demonstrates His ability to help us overcome our fear. And, and Jesus immediately was with them and helped them to overcome our fear. And John writes this so that we can believe that He has power over nature and that He has the ability to help us overcome Next is the healing of the blind man, John chapter 9. Again, because of time, we're not going to read all of that, but but listen and understand what takes place here. There's a blind man. He's been blind his whole life. And Jesus heals him and restores his sight. But the most important thing that I want you to see in John chapter 9 is the transition that happens in this man's life in relationship to Jesus. First, the man says in verse 11, There was a man who healed me. Okay, that's his response. There was a man who healed me. They said, who is he? And he he said, I don't know. I don't know who he is, but he healed me. In verse 17, now they ask him, and they said, who is this that healed you? And he said, oh, he's a prophet. See the transition? At first, it's just a man. I don't know who he is. Now he's a prophet. And then, if we drop down to the latter part, verses 35 through 38, he says, I believe that he's the Son of God. Again, a story, an event, a miracle that is written in order to to help us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And seventh and final miracle is the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we know that Lazarus dies. He's placed in the tomb. When Jesus arrives, he says, move the stone. And they said, listen, he, he probably already has begun to sting. And Jesus said, just move the stone. And he calls Lazarus and says, come forth. And Lazarus walks out of the grave. And he demonstrates to us that he has power over death. He has power over suffering. He has power over the grave, over life and death, and the ability for us to live forever. And so John writes in his Gospel, and he says, I write these things so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing in Him you might have life, and that life might be everlasting. And my encouragement to you is that in this year of 2020, that not only do we believe these miracles, and we believe this teaching of John, but that we be prepared to share it with other people. To go and tell others about the power of Jesus. About the compassion of Jesus. About the love of Jesus. About His desire to give us life and provide for us that which we need. He cares about our physical as well as our spiritual needs. He desires to relieve us of our hurting and our pain and our suffering and our sorrow. All of those things that we see in these stories. Are we prepared to be motivated by the message of John to share that message with others around us? That's my encouragement for our year this morning we're going to sing an invitation hymn. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, I've, I've not been very active about sharing that message with others. I've not been very active about encouraging others to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and that He is the Savior of the world and He's the Savior of my life. And in this year, I want to be motivated to commit to share that truth with other people. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Today's the day that you need to Whatever decisions on your heart, won't you come as we stand and we sing? Oh, to Jesus, I surrender all oh, to. Him.